Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Have a Little Insight, the podcast where we share people's personal stories, lived experience, and expertise in the hopes of generating a more understanding, kind, and compassionate world. We are diving into part two in our series of anxiety with Allie Dignard. Allie joined us to discuss her personal battles with anxiety. We talked about the difference between anxiety and panic attacks, dealing with anxious thoughts, strategies for coping, and much, much more. So with that, I hope you enjoy, and here's Allie. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Have a Little Insight. We are talking to Allie today, and we are continuing our series on anxiety. Allie is the second person that we have talked to about anxiety, and so maybe you can start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, you guys. Um, I am a bartender currently. I'm also taking uh, Reiki training. I'm level two certified now to do energy healing, which has been great. I'm starting to take clients and stuff. Um, yeah, that's eventually where I would like to like to go. Maybe keep a couple bar shifts for a little social aspect. But uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be on here sharing my experiences with the you guys and with the listeners so that hopefully people can relate and maybe take a little something from what I've gone through with anxiety. Cool. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And uh, I guess we can start off by uh, telling us a bit of a story about your anxiety, like maybe how it kind of started or what it's more revolved around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been anxious since I can remember. Um, as a little kid, I never wanted to be away from my mom. I couldn't go to sleepovers. I was always that kid who would bawl her eyes out when it was time to go to bed and my parents would have to come and pick me up. Um, and with going to school, uh, if my mom, if I felt like my mom didn't see me wave to her when I got onto the school bus, I would bawl my eyes out the entire way to school. I would get there, have to run into the office. All the office ladies knew me like, okay, she has to call her mom. Cause I had to make sure my mom knew that I loved her. Like it was just this constant fear that something was going to happen. And the last thing I said to her wasn't going to be, I love you. And um, that's kind of where my anxiety started. It was really awful living with that as a child. Um, I would uh, vomit probably every single night for a couple of years when I was in elementary school because I would just worry about things like, you know, if my grandmother, I lived with my mom and my grandma, if my grandma wasn't home by the time it was bedtime, like what if someone broke in and she wasn't here and I would just send myself into all of these crazy alternate uh, realities and worry, worry, worry about them. And um, yeah, it was uh, pretty debilitating when I was little. My mom had to suffer uh, because of it as well because she couldn't go out without me because I would just lose my mind the whole time, which I see now is like so unfair for her, but we didn't know any better. Um, I come from a, a big family of worry warts is what we, we call ourselves. And uh, like, yeah, none of us really knew that anxiety was such an issue. We just thought we, we just worried about things and that was normal and everybody did it. Um, it got really bad when my mom started going back to school. She was going to Algonquin when I was six 
And I was constantly in fear that she was going to die on her way to school. Like I had all of these crazy scenarios in my mind. So she took me to the doctor because she just couldn't live like that anymore. And my doctor sat down with me and she said, you know, what are you worried about? Well, what if my mom's bus runs over a pin and the tire pops and the bus crashes? And it was, so that's kind of where... Um, my catastrophizing started. That's where I can first identify it. And she was the first person to um, teach me how to re- like recognize what my fears were and to kind of break them down so that they weren't actual realities to me. So I, I knew that those things were more than likely not going to happen and I could I could move on from it and not let it affect me all day. Um And then moving on up into uh, middle school is when I first realized that I had social anxiety. I was talking to my mom about how um, anytime I was with my friends, if anyone turned the conversation to me or I was the subject of any kind of attention, it was like I felt like I had cotton in my ears. I felt like my voice was echoing in my head. My heart would race. I didn't know what to say. If I spoke, I would have no recollection of what came out of my mouth. It was it was really, really awful to live with. And so she told me, like, that's that social anxiety. You're just socially anxious. And again, that was just something that was normal. Right. It was just something that she dealt with and my family dealt with. And we all just kind of learned to live with it. Um, and then once I got to I think I was 19, Um, I had a a lot of stuff going on in my life. My dad was suffering from addiction and was kind of popping in and out. And, um, I, I, I was so anxious all the time that it was just, I I knew I couldn't live like that anymore. And so that's when I finally, uh, sought out a therapist and decided to start cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's, that's the history of what kind of brought me into my journey, um, to learning what anxiety really was and how it affected my life and learning ways to cope with it and to change those harmful behaviors and thoughts that were keeping me from being able to live my life in the way that is a healthy way. (laughs) I think a lot of anxiety, like you described, at least for me too, happens a lot in the mind. Um, But something my therapist has been working with me on is like, where do you feel it? in your body when it happens. And I'm wondering if at all for you, because I hear from a lot of people, if there's a physical component, like you mentioned vomiting, um, mm-hmm. which is terrible, who everybody <laughs> hates throwing up. But if it's happening <laughs> often because of anxiety, that's, uh, I can't imagine. But are there other physical things that you notice when you're in like any sort of level of anxiety? Absolutely. Um, I, I found when... Um, I would get into arguments with people like say my high school boyfriend or friends, I would be so mad and be ready to get into it, but I'd have to run into the bathroom because I was either going to vomit or my body was just like, Nope, you're upset. You're stressed. You're anxious. Everything out. So that was like, I get very physically ill. Like, um, my stomach gets really upset, but, uh, something I realized this year with going back to work this summer or thinking about going back to work is that I'll send myself into anxiety induced illnesses. Um, and I feel, I physically feel like I have the flu when I'm super duper anxious or I'm, um, like pre panic. I feel like, like, I feel like I have a fever. My body is aching. I'm exhausted. 
And thinking that you're sick can cause more anxiety, right? So it's it's kind of this vicious cycle. Um, and so it's the, the best way to deal with it really is just recognizing what's happening to you and realizing like, okay, you're not actually sick. This is just your feelings and your anxiety physically manifesting. And so once you kind of, you're able to, to realize that and be conscious of it, it's a little bit easier to, to, to change and to get, but um, yeah, it can definitely, anxiety is, uh, it's a lot more than just worrying and what's going on in your mind. It, it definitely manifests itself physically. And I think a lot of people um, maybe don't know that when, when they're, you know, thinking about going into a big meeting or something and they feel awful for the first couple of days beforehand, it, it's probably just their, their thoughts and their worries and their anxieties um, physically affecting them. Yeah, there's there's a big connection between like how you're mentally thinking and then it connected to your body, because even if it's like a perceived threat, you know, like if I go into this meeting or, you know, like for me going into work, like at a, uh, serving at a restaurant, like I had a bit of anxiety about going in there because like, what if I screw something up and then I get scolded for it and I get, you know, chewed out, whatever, right? Like I'm just thinking that that's going to happen. And then it's like, I'm doing everything I can to avoid that, but I'm going in to work more exhausted and not right. thinking as clearly because I'm so anxious about that. And yeah, it's like, you know, you get a little bit tighter, the heart rate's going, you feel more tired. So it's crazy. Right. And those things that you're preparing yourself for, they're not actually happening, but you're mm -hmm. living in that reality that you're creating. Right. So when you go in there, that stuff's probably not going to happen, but you're physically and mentally already there. You're already dealing with it and you're already putting yourself through that. And that's what anxiety does. You know, it's, yeah, it's very exhausting for people. Yeah. And I think that's like a big difference to like touch on right now is there's a difference between regular nervousness and anxiety and anxiety from what I've well, personally lived and looked up online is it's a disproportionate reaction to the situation that you're facing, right? So like those perceived threats are perceived at a much higher level and you're reacting at a much higher level than it actually is. And I think that's why it's often associated with like fight or flight or like, you know, for example, like, like you said, vomiting, it's like that, those are very intense reactions to situations that, you know, maybe don't warrant that kind of reaction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's just existing in those, those, uh, those alternate realities, those situations that we just stress ourselves out about. And most people are like, ah, that's never going to happen. I mean, by most people, I mean, people who don't suffer from anxiety, right. Or any kind of mental illness that might cause anxiety. And um, they're able to just recognize everything's going to be fine. But for anxious people, you're like, oh my God, what if that happens? What am I going to do? Like everything is always worst case scenario, but with your worst case scenario, there are a million other awful scenarios that could <laughs> maybe happen. And so you're living in all of that and dealing with all of it. So something that's really, really helpful, um, that I found helpful, my therapist kind of talked to me about, she said, figure out what the worst case scenario is. So Ryan, you kind of touched on, um, 
when you were going in for serving and you're thinking about, you know, what if you have to deal with a rude guest or someone's angry or you screw something up? I was worried about going back to work during COVID and people being upset about having to wear masks because you hear these horror stories, right, of people who yeah, are being rude to the service industry, people who are just trying to do their job and get through their day. And so my therapist said, okay, so what if someone is rude to you and you lose your mind, you freak out on them, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Well, my managers are probably going to be upset with me and they're going to talk to me about it. Okay. And if that happens, do you think you'll actually lose your job? No, probably not. And if you did, would you survive? Yeah. So just talking about that and realizing that that is the worst possible thing that could happen and I'm still going to be okay. That w- I found that very, very helpful. And now that's something that we can use in any kind of situation, not even going into work. Like what's the worst thing that can happen? Picture it, figure it out. And then tell yourself you're going to survive it, even if that does happen. And it's probably not going to happen. Right. So I I thought it was interesting before, too, when we had spoke that um, it's interesting when you have social anxiety, but you can like work and be in an industry that is highly sociable. You know, so like the best way that I can describe it for me is that I can talk one-on-one or in a smaller group like this or to a table of four, like in pockets, right? But then if I had to like make an announcement to like the entire restaurant, I'd be like, hard pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel that too. Absolutely. I've never thought about it the way that you just described it though, where it's just dealing with smaller amounts of people is more manageable rather than addressing a huge group. Because I feel the same way and I've always kind of wondered why that is like I've worked with the same people for almost a decade but if I have to talk to all of them at once I'm like I choke up I feel like I'm going to be sick (laughs) but I can sit there and have any conversation with a little group of them that's funny it's it's really interesting because both of you mentioned like presenting to large groups of people would be really hard for you in terms of your anxiety and when you talk about your experience as a child Ali mine was very similar so I was very attached to my mother if my mom tried to go out it was like no go meltdown I've locked myself in the car on her before because of anxiety when I was a child and stuff like it my my anxiety as a child was very similar to yours it was quite bad and quite debilitating Um, I even stopped going to school at one point, like my parents would take me to school and I would just run home, take me back to school, run home. And eventually I just stopped going to school altogether. Um, but going back to presenting in front of people, I have like, I have general nervousness that happens when I present in front of people. I've been in theater since I was 16 years old. I've performed in front of hundreds of people. I have regular nervousness and it goes away and it's not a problem, but anything that's directly linked to attachments in my life or the things that I feel are really based around security, when those are severed, I'm a like, forget it. I'm a panic mess. And the first sign that I'm having a hard time is like getting into those regular establishments. So like when I was little, it was school. As an adult, I'll find it harder to start getting to work and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's interesting how it can manifest differently for people, you know, that I could, somebody could be like talking for 500 people. I'll be like, okay, I've let like two minutes of nervousness beforehand. And once I start talking, it's fine. But both of you are like hard pass, no way, like not doing it. It's interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with, um, 
being less comfortable with the vulnerability of being one-on-one and engaging with someone directly, as opposed to when you're performing in theater, you're speaking to a huge crowd of people, it's you up there and you're not directly engaging with people. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it could be like possibly related to that. I mean, I find at a party, like I'm okay too. Like I can talk to different people and stuff like that. I'm sure if I have a like a drink or two, that obviously helps a little bit as well. But (laughs) I don't find like, it's funny because they say the majority of people in our world, like a lot more people than you think have social anxiety. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I have a bit, but it's, it's just so interesting how it can be so different for every person. And yet we classify it all under the umbrella of anxiety when really it's so individually different. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's experience is going to be completely different, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious because you talked about cognitive behavioral therapy And our other guest, Michelle, she talked about cognitive behavioral therapy and how that works really well for her too. What are Mm -hmm. some of the strategies around CBT or other strategies you might use to like manage or cope with your anxiety? I think that um, realizing where my uh, harmful or unhealthy thought patterns were coming from, like where they were originating was the key for me. So Um, something that I had a really hard time with as far as social anxiety was I always felt like, um, I felt like nobody ever really knew me. And if they did know me, they weren't going to like me or accept me. So it created kind of this weird, vicious cycle where I didn't want to show myself to anyone because I was afraid they wouldn't like me. But then when people said that they did like me, I felt like they were lying because they didn't actually know me. So that had a lot to do with um, growing up and having to be like a peacekeeper in my family or having to manage everybody else's anxieties and just having to present myself as this happy, positive, like shooting rainbows out my butt person all the time. And I wasn't allowed to be anything. I felt like I wasn't allowed to be anything else. And so recognizing that that came from that, that anxiety of being around people and showing myself to people, my true self to people was because I never felt I could do that as a child. So um, that's what I find the huge, the the basis really of CBT is, is recognizing where these uh, thoughts are coming from and challenging that and being able to, so once you understand why you're doing something, feeling something or thinking a certain way, then you're able to change it. If you don't understand why it's happening or where it's coming from, it's just, it's just what it is, right? You, it's just your reality. That's just how it's going to be. Um, so I think that's a really, really important part of cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's been such a gift for me. Like it's, yeah, it was a total game changer. (laughs) And you discovered those like originating thoughts or like where those thoughts were originating from in therapy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize that, um, a lot of my learned, uh, anxious behaviors were coming from my family because I like everyone grows up thinking their family is pretty normal until they get a bit older. And then they're like, is everyone like this? But you know, like my grandfather, he used to eat his breakfast in the bathroom by himself when we would go over on Sundays, but that's just the way that it was. It was because he was so anxious being around everybody. He couldn't eat in front of all of us. So he would have to go off into the bathroom to eat by himself. And 
Um, you know, he was an alcoholic when before I was born, but that was because he didn't know how to cope with social situations. So he would drink to make himself more comfortable. And in my mind, all of these things were just normal, right? That's just the stuff that people do. Maybe they're quirky, but realizing that that's actual anxiety and those are unhealthy behaviors and those are things that can be changed. Um, that was, yeah, yeah. That realizing where, where it all came from um, helped me to uh, to understand that it, it's okay, it's not normal, I don't have to live like that, I don't have to be like that, I can change it. Mm. And I think that's what CBD does for people. CBT, not CBD. <laughs> I mean, I mean CBD, we, can talk about, we can talk a little about <laughs> CBD too, but... <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. No, that, that's super interesting too, because I've always been told that I'm a bit of a, a worry word about things. And it's more revolved around like what people think about me and judgments and ridicule and that kind of stuff. Right. And I think some of that does kind of get passed down from, you know, because the first like 18 years of your life is around your parents. Right. So they have such a massive influence on you. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it's learned. Yeah. So other than other than CBT, is there anything for yourself um, practice wise or maybe anything that you do uh, to help like manage anxiety, like whether moment to moment or like any routine that you have? Um, so um, going out into the forest and being in nature is very helpful for me. I find it very grounding. It's peaceful. I don't like to go to the forest with people. I, it's like my sacred space. I don't like when people want to come with me. Um <laughs> which sounds a little bit mean. I feel bad because people are like, oh, that looks like so much fun. I want to come. But it's my it's my time to just be alone with my thoughts. And when you're in a neutral kind of peaceful environment like that, being outside, it's easier when those uh, anxious thoughts come to you to deal with them because you're not in the thick of it and you're not overstimulated by other things that are happening around you. So I find that very helpful. Um, meditation, obviously, um, I know that's probably something that a lot of people recommend to people with anxiety and it's, it's probably, uh, well, I know it's becoming a huge practice for a lot of people now or realizing how important it is to just kind of slow down. Um, and something that I learned when I uh, started talking to my therapist again this summer after I had my big panic attack is, um, I know there's a technical term for it, but I call it box breathing. So... I take a breath for three seconds in, I hold it for three seconds, three seconds out, hold for three seconds and repeat. And what that does is it slows down your heart rate. So once you feel yourself getting into the anxious mode, your heart rate increases, you start shallow breathing. So once you start to slow everything down, it helps actually with the physical effects of anxiety as well as the mental effects, right? Um, so those are definitely my main um, tools that I use and, uh, CBD as well. Um, it's something I actually, I started again this week because my first two shifts back at work, I would get to work and I could, I'm, I'm pretty good now at recognizing when I'm pre panic attack, I'm, I'm kind of bordering. And that's what was happening as soon as I would walk into work. And I've been in the same place for 11 years. Like I know what I'm in for. Right. But it's, it just happens. That's what, that's what anxiety is. So I find that the CBD definitely helps kind of cut some of the edge off of that and helps to keep me from getting myself into a spiral of panic, if that makes any sense. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's been a useful tool for a lot of people. I'm curious for you what the difference is in feeling between anxiety and a panic attack. And if we can touch on that a little bit, because I, I know that we talked about that with Michelle yesterday and I've had panic attacks and I'm just curious what, what that's like for you, like, so that we can differentiate for people. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to hear, um, what everybody else's experience was and kind of what their tools are, because I'm always looking to expand and learn. Um, when, so I didn't know when I had my panic attack that there was a difference between anxiety attacks and panic attacks. So anxiety, um, anxiety attacks are less severe. Um, and they're usually triggered by something from, from what I'm, I've learned. Uh, whereas a panic attack can just hit you out of the blue and it's, um, it's basically debilitating for a short period of time. So for example, um, is it okay if I share my experience from my panic attack? Of course. Uh, from the- mm. Okay. So, um, I was, I was having a, a beautiful day. It was, it was right when restaurants were reopening. I was so excited to go back. I had just talked to my manager the day before, like, as soon as you're ready for me, put me in coach. I want to come back. I want to talk to people. I'm sick of being at home by myself. Uh, so one morning I had my coffee out on my balcony in the sun. And then I crawled into bed with my dog and a book and I was like ready to have a great day. And then all of a sudden I felt like I was going to vomit. My whole body felt like it was on fire. My skin was burning. My heart started racing and I could feel my heartbeat in my neck. And I was like, okay, what is happening to my body right now? Like I had no idea what was going on. Um, and then I started, uh, I felt like I couldn't breathe. So like hyperventilation. Um, and then I started kind of blacking in and out of consciousness. I knew I was about to pass out. So I called my partner and I, I said, something's wrong. I don't know what is going on. I, this was when we were just learning that COVID could send you into respiratory distress. And, you know, it was like, you can die within three hours if you go into respiratory distress because of COVID. So in my mind, that's what was happening to me. Um, so I asked him to please come home from work. I have to go to the hospital. And then I called my mom and I was collapsed on the floor in my spare room, just trying to keep myself awake. And she was asking me to call an ambulance, but I I couldn't even look at my phone. I just had to wait for my partner to come home. Um, and I had to warn him, like I, I might pass out on the way to the hospital because I don't know what's happening. I can't breathe. I feel like I'm, I, I felt like I was going to die. And now I know that that is what a panic attack is. All of those things are textbook panic attack. You, your heart's racing, you're blacking out, you feel like you're going to vomit you feel like you're going to die. Um, so I got to the hospital, they did chest x-rays, they did blood work. Um, they ran a couple other tests on me and then the doctor came in and asked, do you have a history of anxiety? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm diagnosed generalized anxiety disorder. And she said, okay, you had a panic attack. You can go home. And that was it. And I, I thought I knew what a panic attack was. I thought it was just like an anxiety attack, just maybe a little bit worse. And so I was pretty embarrassed and humiliated because I had all these people worrying about me thinking something was seriously wrong. And I rushed to the hospital and then I'm like, Oh, I was just a little bit worried about going back to work. Like, is that really what happened? Um, so then I, I had to do a lot of research on my own because I, I felt like 
I wasn't given any information at the hospital. It's, this is what happened. Smell you later. Um, so once I started looking into it, I realized that, that that's what a panic attack is. It just hits you out of the blue. And um, something that started happening to me after my first panic attack is I would have panic attacks every single day. And it happened for between a week and two weeks. I think it was every day for a week. And then after that, it was just kind of hit or miss. And um, so my therapist gave me some really helpful tips once she uh, and I finally talked about it once she was finally able to meet with me. Um, and the first thing that she did was she explained the panic attack to me. So I think that when you're going through a panic attack and you don't know what's happening to you, it makes it 10 times worse because uh, you don't understand. So something that I found helpful is recognizing that um, my body is going through the same amount of exertion as it would if I were running or as if I were running a half marathon. So your heart's pumping like crazy, your blood circulating. So you're actually doing your body a favor. It's not doing any harm to your body when you're going through a panic attack. You feel like it's awful, but you're, it's, it's kind of like that, uh, fight or flight that you were mentioning. Your mm -hmm. body is in flight mode, but you're not going anywhere. So all of this adrenaline is rushing through your body and you're just staying, you're not working it through. Um, and then recognizing how long my panic attacks last was very helpful. So I know for me, if I get to the edge and I, I cross it and that's it, we're in panic attack territory. I know that 20 minutes is going to go by and I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be exhausted probably, but I'm going to be okay. So when, once I get into that state, if I'm not able to kind of talk myself down, I know that, okay, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to do my box breathing that I mentioned earlier. And, and in 20 minutes, I'm, I'm going to feel better. So those were all very, very helpful uh, tips for getting through them. Another thing that people with anxiety do is we shallow breathe, which I had no idea was a thing either, like learning so much this summer. Um, so when my therapist asked me to take a deep breath, I was on camera with her. I did. And my shoulders went up by my ears when I took my deep breath and she said, okay, now watch me do it. And she took a big breath and her shoulders didn't move. And she was like, I can't even make my body do what yours is doing when I take a deep breath because you are just breathing into the top part of your lungs. And so you're not filling your body with oxygen. You're taking way more breaths. You're probably taking, let's say 60 breaths a minute. Whereas when you're breathing into your abdomen, you're filling your body with oxygen. You're slowing down your breathing because it takes more time to expand your lungs that way. So um, every morning and every night, I would do my box breathing exercises into my stomach. So I would watch my hand on my stomach versus my hand on my chest. And the one that I want to move is the one on my stomach. And that's how I know my body is getting the appropriate amount of oxygen and I'm slowing everything down. And it was super uncomfortable at first because I had never, I had been breathing into to the top part of my lungs, shallow breathing forever. Like I, I had no idea. So I felt uh, very dizzy at first. It was uncomfortable. It was a little bit painful. Um, but now I'm able to do it if, if I'm in the car and you know, someone cuts me off and I can feel myself starting to get upset. I know like, okay, you're probably only breathing into the top part of your lungs right now. Take a deep breath, stick the stomach out, like, like really fill yourself with that oxygen. And it just helps to bring you right down. It's, it's magical. They say that that breathing exercise is more helpful than meditation and yoga for anxiety. And I believe it, it definitely works very well for me. 
Yeah, it's getting that consciousness like out of that ruminating thoughts that's going on back, you know, putting the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like getting more connected back to your body than what's going on in your mind. You'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm aware that I'm feeling anxious right now. And then it's like, how am I breathing? And then you start to breathe like that. And it kind of can just center you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Calm yep. you right down. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of techniques like that where they like I forget what one of them is called, but it's basically like focus on three things. Like find something to focus on visually, focus on your breath, you know, like just find things that are kind of like grounding for you. And I think it's true like when you're in the midst of a panic attack and your heart is racing, just focusing on trying to breathe, if you can get your breath in, it does start to slow everything down. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's true getting more oxygen, I think biologically, it does actually just relax you more like this is going to maybe sound like a silly reference right now. But like you, I was just watching Fight Club again, if either of you have seen that movie and Brad Pitt's talking about the oxygen mass on airplanes. And he's like, why do you think they want you to put those on? And Edward Norton's like, because they help you breathe. And he's like, no, oxygen gets you high. So you'll calm down. But like, mm-hmm. I mean how relevant that really is compared to like our natural breathing, but it just shows that if you're not getting enough oxygen, it can definitely be contributing to your stress and your panic and your, you know, and then it all builds on you like a snowball rolling down a hill and all of a sudden, oh, you're on the floor and you're done. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely an important part. And uh, I love how you touched on how you felt like, I don't like that you felt this way, but how you touched on the fact that after your panic attack, you felt bad you know, and you felt guilty. And I think we feel bad often about these like exaggerate, like what we think are like things we should already have under control or are disproportionate. And just accepting that, like, this is just what happens. This is my life. This is what I'm dealing with. And it happens to a lot more people than we realize. Yeah, exactly. And um, the people who don't experience it, are never going to understand. And that's something that we all need to accept and realize it, it doesn't make it our fault. It doesn't make uh, mean that there's something wrong with us. It just means that we experience things differently than other people, right? My mom's a, a very anxious person. Like I said, my dad, not at all. Normal worries, that's it. I'm telling him about panic attacks. He's like, well, honey, you just have to stop worrying so much. Like, yeah, oh my God, that little switch, I can flick that and it'll all turn off, you know? Like, I know he loves me so much, but he just he just doesn't understand. And he never will, and that's totally fine. Um, but a lot of people feel really isolated and alone, and they feel guilty. And um, I think that's why it's important to really talk about anxiety and to... Um, express what our experiences are and to share those with other people so that they are like, Oh my God, not, it's not just me. Like, I don't have to feel bad about this. Other people are going through it as well. And it's difficult. I I'm sure it's, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if it's difficult for you as well as, um, anxious people on your own, but talking about it isn't easy, right? Because we're already anxious, but it's important. And so that, that kind of makes it worth it. Right. Yeah, it's it's a bit of it's a bit therapeutic in a way to be able to vocalize it and to be able to connect with people, you know, and I think 
because I've experienced it so much, like I've found a bit of my own way to manage it as I've grown up. But just, you know, just saying don't worry about it is is not really super helpful, but it's a whole other ballgame to try to figure out how to communicate with somebody that is experiencing anxiety, you know, and, and even like the way that I, you know, should talk myself through it or write stuff down, you know, if I'm trying to help somebody like a coworker who's feeling anxious, I'll just be like, what are you feeling anxious about? Why do you think that's going to happen? You know, just keep asking questions to try to get mm-hmm. them to talk about it more. And then it's like, okay, now that you've verbalized it, how do you feel, right? Like, are you as worried as you were before? Um, but I think we've covered a lot so far, which is fantastic. But I wanted to ask you um, if there's anything else that you might want to leave our listeners with, like any little insight or something that you think might be helpful for anyone that's experiencing anxiety or knows anybody that is. Um. Well, the last thing I want to touch on with um, dealing with panic attacks or sending yourself into those kind of uh, inescapable spirals is body scans. I forgot to mention this. Um, That's something that was contributing to a lot of my panic attacks after the big one is I was constantly preparing to have another one. So if my heart was beating quickly, I would be like, oh, my God, is my heart starting to race? Am I going to have a panic attack? Bam, right back into it. So uh, something that is helpful full is stop scanning your body. If your skin feels like it's on fire, recognize it, breathe through it, and just just realize that that's, that's happening because you're starting to go through some sort of anxious episode and you can maybe keep yourself from getting to the point of no return where you have to sit there and breathe through it for 20 minutes. That was very helpful for me. Um, but really, I just want people to know that it's not something to be embarrassed about. A lot of people understand and will hold space for you and love you. And whether they are anxious people or not, there are going to be empathetic people in your life who will be happy to listen and will understand and won't make you feel badly. And anybody who does, they they are just incapable of understanding what you're going through. And that's their experience. And that's on them to hold on to. It's not for you. And, um, we're, we're all just in this together and we're all going to get through it. We just have to talk about it and support each other. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's just nice to hear other people's stories and like, you know, you can tell yourself all the time you're not alone. Like we just talked about, but when you actually talk to other people and you hear other people's experiences, you see commonalities, you hear similar things and you really do realize like you're not alone. You know, it, it does happen to a lot of people. So um, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> well, folks, that concludes our mini series on anxiety. Thank you so much, Allie, for sharing your story with us so openly and candidly. And Michelle as well. I'm sure this will help a lot of people. For anyone who's listening, Hopefully you gained a little bit more understanding about anxiety, feel a little bit less alone, or have a better understanding of a loved one or someone you might know who does experience anxiety. With that, if you do find you're experiencing a mental health crisis, we strongly encourage you to reach out for support to a family, friend, or loved one, or you can contact Ottawa Health Crisis Hotline. Their phone numbers are 613-722-6914. Or you can reach them at 
1-800-331-0991. And those numbers and some other resources will be available in the show notes for you. Again, we are Have a Little Insight. Our mission is to help create more understanding, kindness, and compassion in the world. You can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts, but feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and we are on Spotify as well. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hallie Podcast. And if you ever want to get in touch with us, you can email us at havealittleinsight at gmail.com. Hope you have a really fantastic week and keep taking care of yourselves out there, everybody. Bye.